0: Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here at JM and the AM with the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Yes, thank you. Good to be with you. Are you planning on voting on Tuesday? Early and often. There you go. So you've got the system down. Batch.
1: Chicago rules. Right
0: now we just need. <laughs> now we just need everybody else to follow uh, in your footsteps. Although it, it does seem that a lot of people, compared to the usual turnout, already have uh, voted, which is good to know. Uh, people are taking advantage of the opportunity. But again, as I said, uh, you know, generations of Jews never had an opportunity like this, and we should be as, as as much as there are other messages that we should be transmitting to our children and grandchildren. One of them is the importance of voting. So,
1: I already voted, and I, I want to advise people that because of the rain, a lot of the voting places, places like here at Brooklyn College yesterday, it took one minute, the whole process. I literally walked in, voted, and walked out. Interesting.
0: And, I didn't even consider that. People
1: cause... should think about the fact that uh, because of the rain, a lot of people are not going going to vote early.
0: Oh, very good. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a a, a very important tip. There are places in this country uh, where people are waiting six, seven, eight hours in order to vote early. Uh, So keep that in mind, everybody. This may be a perfect day in this area. Uh, to go out and actually vote. Also, on the 2nd of November, this coming Monday, it is Balfour Day. We'll certainly speak about it this coming Monday. But when we think about Jewish history and we talk about the uh, uh, peace agreements being made with other countries and we talk about Israel's position in the world, Malcolm, it was not long ago... Where Israel was in not was not in a position like this, and certainly and and did not exist as a state, frankly. Uh, And when gestures like the Balfour Declaration proved to be very important historically, so we should remember that. As I was always told by generations prior to mine, you don't know what it's like to live in a world without a state of Israel. Very true, but we need to transmit that message to the future generations and make sure that they realize there was a time in Jewish history when it was not nearly as easy. Uh, to be a Jew and to be uh, somebody who was uh, in love with the land of Israel and eventually with the state of Israel.
1: Absolutely, and, to, and so little is asked of us to to uh, demonstrate it by going out to vote, by participating, and the the um, uh, message shouldn't be can't be clearer. Look at what what happened this week with. Uh, all well, the developments, whether in France and Iran and Israel, the, these things should be an incentive to everybody, a reminder to everybody about the importance of being able to, you know, everybody likes to complain about why people don't do stuff, don't do things, and and don't say what they would like to hear said. Well, vote, and then you will hear.
0: Yeah, then you can fetch a little bit once you've voted. Uh, what do you make of the fact that now passports for those born in Jerusalem will say Jerusalem, Israel, on United States passports?
1: Yes, it will, and that's very important. I know for many people, it's it's uh, it's a technical decision. Um, it didn't stop anybody from getting a passport, except the passports never said what state. So they were really essentially stateless. They were they had a city of birth, but no state. Now U.S. passport holders will be able to add Israel to their um, to their passports, <clears throat> and this is a follow up to. The recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, although it's something since the '95 legislation, 1995 legislation, recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital, really would have allowed for. it, But you know, we built that was built into that legislation in order to get it passed and not to challenge the presidential prerogative in foreign affairs, the um, six-month waiver, which every president until now exercised, uh, and now it 's fully recognized, but of equal importance well of similar importance i should say is the is the measure about um, recognizing less bank the uh, uh, enabling American institutions to to do business with them uh, meaning the the big funds that um, um, the three major foundations, uh, the Bard Foundation, the Bird Foundation, you know, by National Research Development, and um, the BSF Foundation. These are all very important. BSF alone supported 47 Nobel laureates and keeps um, people in both countries, scientists in both countries. In innovation, And it will be very important for institutions, but especially for places like Ariel University, it's a recognition that is very significant. I don't know how the Europeans will, will react to it, but at least it, it takes away a barrier for those who live uh, in, uh, you know, in Germont to be able to, to benefit and for us to benefit from their medical research, scientific research, etc.
0: Interesting. You mentioned Europe a moment ago in terms of the reference to, to Paris. So the leader of France says that uh, that the people in, in in France are now under attack, and that he meant that from a religious standpoint because this was essentially a church attack, or he meant that because of the terrorism that's now proliferating in in in, in France in general. What was his reference?
1: So it's um, a good question. The, the the first attack, of course, was a secular attack. It was a school teacher. and. Um, the guy who, who carried out this barbaric beheading of uh, that young teacher who was showing pictures of, of Muhammad, but in a class, to talk about freedom of speech. Uh, but the subsequent one, the attack in the church yesterday, where two people were beheaded or attempted to be beheaded, they were killed, nice. and a third was killed as well. Hmm. That, that and, and we know that there has been an upsurge of these kind of attacks. But frankly, when there were attacks against Jews, which has been going on for years, when Mrs. Khalimi, they refused for months to acknowledge there was an anti Semitic attack, and even now are, are letting this guy off on the charge that he has some mental illness. The attack on the young guy Khalimi, also, they refused to acknowledge it. In Toulouse, they had no choice when they remember they killed certain sure. Jewish school children and et cetera. So there is a long history leading up to this. And when France didn't t- take the proper steps to address it, uh, before and now they're paying the price for it at a terrible price and, and very unfortunate as you know Erdogan, the president of Turkey, has now taken this on and is publicly criticizing. Um, uh, the, he said Macron needs some mental treatment and called for a boycott of French goods. And now there are countries, Arab countries, Muslim countries that are are engaged in it. I think there were forty thousand people in an anti-French rally in in Bangladesh. The prime minister in um, Pakistan accused him of being Islamophobic, and even Jordan's foreign minister and made comments about it and others. And in some of the Arab countries, the boycott is is taking hold, and you see that the French are obviously very concerned about it. But the particular tension between the European Union, but particularly France and Turkey, which has risen over over the last years, uh, even though Turkey wants to to send to the EU, uh, and is not being allowed in. But he is saying terrible things and comparing this, uh, saying that it's uh, like the Jews have been many times in history, especially before the Holocaust, are being targeted, Muslims are being targeted in Europe. And both the Israeli foreign ministry and others sharply criticized Erdogan's statement Saying you know where he compares the Muslims in Europe to to what happened to the uh, to to the Jews, and remember, all these countries allowed in large numbers of Muslim immigrants, and uh, Erdogan has long weaponized the immigration issue and used it as a lever in in Germany, in France, and elsewhere. So this has broader implications, and. you know, he, he called for the Muslim countries to come to the aid of the Muslims in Europe, and in many places, and certainly even if not in governments, it, it resounds. And when you have France and Turkey on opposite sides in some of the battles, like Syria, Libya, and the uh, that you know, it only adds to the tension and to the fact that we're not just dealing with local issues. And many Europeans, uh, the Dutch, the Greeks, the Cypriots, anyway... In conflict with Turkey um, came out on this and did so did others so this is not a little spat this this can escalate very easily
0: and, and I never thought until you just described it I never thought of the future implications because when when when, when a leader like that and a meaning of his ilk uh, and his desires as you've described here on the air many times talks about defending Muslims in other countries I mean down the road, you know, years or decades from now, you know what that could lead to. Yeah. Exactly it, the point. It, yeah, I, I, I get it, but I didn't get it until this conversation frankly. I looked at this as, you know, terrorism versus France and really it's a bigger picture because someone's using it as an advantage to to try to you know to try to exhibit potential control
1: over. And they, you know, they deported 231 people from France. They they're taking some band-aid measures, but frankly it's so integrated, and the radicalization of the mosques, uh, that's why Erdogan builds mosques everywhere and puts in his people and controls it with a Muslim Brotherhood message, that the, the, um, uh, a lot of people believe that maybe it's past the point of, of no return in terms of, being a, of France being able to control it, and, and true in other countries as well, when more than 10% of the population, but it's probably closer to 15% or more, of the population of France are are Muslims this is not all Muslims that everybody participates in right. this. and that. people have to be a little bit careful but but look at what, what we see now we see Russia this week struck against 50 killed 50 Turkish aligned uh, fighters in Syria and so you see that as I've talked about for a long time that the Russian uh, Iranian Turkey who well, are supposedly lie in the Asana process in Syria but everywhere the three of them Align when it's convenient, like in Nagara Karabakh, where Turkey is on one side, but Russia and now Iran is aiding Armenia, even though you've got 30 million Azeris who are very unhappy about it in France, in um, Iran, who live in Iran. And the, so this conflict now, and you have them in Libya on opposite sides, you have you know, growing frustration and growing tension. And that's why I keep warning that any one of these places could become a, a hot spot. The Mediterranean, where France, of course, joined Greece and Israel and others in standing off against the um, the Turks when they were trying to do the uh, explorations and stuff there, and the fact that you have Russians striking out at these at this uh, Turkish-backed troops in Syria, these are all potential uh, explosive points that um, we have to watch and we have to be concerned because it's not going to be localized.
0: Uh, the potential to, for one of these to explode, just unbelievable. By the way, you mentioned Erdogan. So I I don't understand the whole bank case situation. Did he, in fact, pressure President Trump to do something he shouldn't have done? Which situation? On this Hawk Bank uh, uh, where the New York Times is claiming that Erdogan's influence over Trump um, uh, regarding this, uh, this bank situation, yeah. this, this bank case?
1: Right. So we don't know the facts yet on that one. Uh, you mean the Hawk Bank? Yeah, Hawk that, Bank. right. That um, um, it, you know Erdogan. Uh, Trump used to speak a lot to Erdogan. Right. As did Obama. In fact, he was the foreign leader Obama spoke to most often in his first two years. Until they come to realize that this guy is a dangerous character. Uh, I remember meeting the Vice President Biden when he came back and was talking to me about his discussions uh, with Erdogan. Um, and others in the administration used to ask us to try to and tell the you know share our concerns and what, what why we saw the triple threat in the Middle East being Islamists, Iran, but also Turkey. And now you, you see that in the UAE in Saudi Arabia all of them talk about it. We don't have the facts yet on the bank situation and I don't think he covered so much for it as they may not have taken the harsh action um that some might want have seen. But I, I um I don't think that we know yet enough to be able to judge it.
0: Uh, on the uh, on the most recent news regarding Israel's um, understanding of peace with other countries, so we know that Sudan obviously is the latest on that list, a Sudanese politician was quoted as saying, we have no enmity toward Israel. We need to abandon the Islamist pan-Arab ideologies. The Palestinians are better off than rural Sudanese. And I never considered that. How, with all the uh, the uh, accusations of occupation, of uh, being unhappy with the way Israel deals with the uh, uh, with the PA, etc. Um, I mean, it, based on what this uh, politician is saying from Sudan, it's all one big convenient excuse, and that uh, in fact the people who are living in the PA areas are better off than the people who live in his own country.
1: It's a very poor country. It has a terrible economy. It's facing the conflict over the Ethiopian dam, which is escalating also, and different countries on different side of that issue. Um, and, but the the Sudanese are moving ahead. There was an Israeli delegation there. There is a lot of pressure. You have the Islamists still in the country and left over, and the followers of the previous government who have spoken against it or at least to to slow it down. And it, I think. It, it is a process. It's not going to be in any kind of instant decision to, uh, to fully recognize or have diplomatic relations, but that will come, and it could come at any time once they make a decision. Uh, for instance, they it needs parliamentary approval, but the parliament doesn't function, so it's a little hard to do. So it means that other agencies of the government need need to step in and, and do it. Um, so there is support. There is a, a desire because of their economic conditions, because of the fact that they're getting off the state sponsors of terrorism list by having paid up $335 million to the victims of terror, meaning Americans killed in the attacks on our embassies and on the USS Cole uh, from people who were based there. But, and you know that Iran used this as a major staging ground and, and weapons uh, storage until a few years ago, somehow. I guess it's now acknowledged or, or said to be Israeli planes, took out the warehouse. That was a major turning point, and the relationship between them and Iran deteriorated ever since.
0: Speaking of taking things out of this report, is true that there's a new underground centrifuge assembly plant in Iran. Very important. I guess Israel's going to have to take some action in the very near future.
1: Well, this is an important story because, it again, underscores what they're up to. This is to meant to replace this facility, which is near Natanz, is, um, is being built underground inside a mountain. Probably, we don't know if it's a tunnel. We don't know if it's just, you know, deep down under under the uh, mountain. But what we know is that the road is very clear. The satellites show it, show the road going there. It's south of Natanz, where you remember the biggest explosion, the most important of the series of I don't know a dozen or more explosions at facilities in Iran took place. But this is the place where they were making the advanced centrifuges which is a critical part of the nuclear weapons program. The truth is they have enough enriched uranium probably to, and and could build a bomb in three, four months, even with the slower stuff. Mm. But what they're going to build uh, underground is to make it much harder to strike, even with the uh, Buster Bunker bombs. I'm sure that they have that in mind now that there's a bill in Congress that Gottheimer and others have introduced to uh, provide Israel with the mops, the, these massive ordinances, and... Um, But the confirmation of this new facility is clear, and it starts another dangerous uh, escalation in in this. Uh, The Atomic Energy Agency said last month that um, the destroyed facility was being replaced with one in in the mountains. As you know, there are other underground facilities, we believe some that have been visited, but many that have not. So while the bombing of the Natanz, the explosion at Natanz, uh, set them back, we believe, one or two years, now they will build a facility that will try to escalate the process for them.
0: Does the UN care about this new facility?
1: Oh yeah, right. The IAEA does, and under the current leadership, they've been more aggressive and more forthright in addressing it. But. UN does not doesn't stand up to Iran on anything, and as you know, the arms embargo has expired, and nothing is being done, and we we are obviously very concerned about the implications that not only that Iran can buy weapons, but Iran can sell weapons and and or provide weapons to Hamas, Hezbollah, others, and uh, you know they're always they they do it clandestinely, but now they would be able to do it openly. Uh, one of the benefits now is Israel is getting direct access to US satellites and more um f35 capabilities uh, which will be necessary um because now the the SBIRS which is a space, space-based infrared system for early missile detection and uh, helps in in terms of Israel's defense platforms this is uh, is very important again the kind of stuff that nobody gets to see. But the the um, the danger from Iran does not diminish. They're still active throughout the region. America imposed a lot of new sanctions, virtually covering their entire energy production, all the companies, just this week. Um, and th- these are very important because it does limit it. 60% of the oil production goes to Iraq because they can't export it anywhere. They do it clandestinely to Venezuela, but... You know, now most of that oil is sitting in New Jersey because we've confiscated it.
0: Right. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, at achamsegel.com and the Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And you and I will not discuss uh, either of our preferences regarding the uh, election on Tuesday, but there are concerns, depending on who is voted into office, are concerns regarding the future of the U.S.-Iran relationship. Um, again, um, being I guess a little bit more vague than we would be uh, this time next week when we know who the, when we know when we hopefully hopefully this time next week we'll know who the winner is. Uh, but there's a lot to be concerned about, and as I've pointed out, I think every week you know since Rosh Hashanah, nobody has paid attention to any of this. Foreign policy has been zero of a discussion between the press and the uh, candidates, and zero of a discussion at the debates. So. Uh, at some point, people are going to have to wake up and deal with this situation. I hope we have a responsible leader, in fact, who can deal with it. Um, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Oxfam, are are they now officially designated as anti-Semitic by the Trump administration or, and or the State Department? How does it work? What's what's the latest news on that?
1: Well, it's still in the process as uh, far as I know. And, and the designation of these groups is significant because they use charitable dollars. To engage in propagandistic uh, uh, efforts, and and I just want to add something that I don't forget. People shouldn't just look at the top line. Congress is very important. Who gets elected to Congress? And people are just, uh, it's not enough just to vote straight down the line. You have to look at the individuals, see who they are, try to find out before you go into the voting booth. Uh, who are the people are, even who get the people get elected to state positions or or local officials, they count, and it affects our lives. We see it here in New York City. you see it around the country about how uh, how they respond to this, to the attacks on Jewish communities or um, and certainly in Congress uh, that the we need people who who will be fighters and will, will stand up on both sides of the aisle for uh, the right things. So I was shocked.
0: Not... I was shocked to see yesterday a report that compared to 20 or 30 years ago, there are hardly any vote splitters anymore in this country. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, it was not uncommon to do what you just described, and now it's much, much less common.
1: Yeah, people used to go down the bo- the, the, the voting ballot and, uh, you know, check off, and, and they, they knew the names. They, they may, didn't have access to the information we have. So I think party voting has always been true. I think it was probably more true 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, people today, I think, will you know, are looking at the individuals. They they don't vote so much. People, young people, don't feel that they're Democrats, Republicans. In this election, they they like Trump or they don't like Trump. More than they, they like Democrats or like Republicans. Right.
0: Well, I, I hear what you're saying that now it would lend itself with all the information to more votes to more parties splitting. But they they were claiming exactly the opposite that people. I know. Would... I, no, no. I, I,
1: I'm saying I yes, and I'm saying it goes. It's counterintuitive. Right. It makes to, no sense to, to say that. Yes.
0: It makes no sense. The only thing I'm thinking is that maybe people pay so much less attention now to the local races that they just are not as familiar with their government officials. And therefore, they're willing to go straight down the line if they're Republican or Democrat. But I was shocked to see that. Although, uh, the point you made earlier with New York in mind, I don't know if it it applies, you know, obviously it doesn't apply everywhere. And I think in this area, there would be more splitting down the line. I think in this area, because people are so used to voting a certain way for president and so often knowing that there's only one uh, party to vote for or one party that you're familiar with when it comes to the local election. So it could be that in this area, uh, it would be different. Um, 25 years later, after the uh, Rabin assassination, the prime minister says that there's still plenty of incitement and threats against the prime minister, but claims no one pays attention. Is that true? That the prime minister of Israel today is under the same type of uh, of threats that you know could you know that that could put him in such a dangerous position. And then he's claiming nobody pays attention to it. I can't imagine that he doesn't have the security necessary to deal with it.
1: So, I mean, you want me to contradict the prime minister? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make I think, sense. I think, look, he certainly has tremendous security. They've learned the lessons the past. Is there 100% protection? No. But I think he, he's referring to the things that are being said at some of these demonstrations and the fact that tens of thousands of people come out every week uh, against him. And, you know, this has to take a toll. It take a toll on anybody. Uh, and, you know, for somebody who's been in office as long as he has, he's... he's he, I'm sure he's got a thicker skin, but nobody is that thick that they disregard these attacks. And sometimes these these threats are made. Usually people uh, uh, um, carry such allegations against the liquid factions, against the right wing. But it's true of the left, it's true across the board, that people today in the political rhetoric, we see it in our own country, how it has changed and how how, uh, vile some of the comments are or extreme and... Uh, I think, and we've seen a, a touch of it, but it's also a, a political ploy, you know, to, to rally people to say, you know, I'm under threat. Uh, again, I don't dismiss it, and I don't think that there's no basis for it. I think there is, but, you know, he's the head of government. He can make sure that the security agencies are properly uh, acting, and you see the uh, security around him. Um, I, I don't know if uh, any recent plots or attacks right. uh, that justify it. <laughs>
0: And these demonstrations are all COVID-related, I'm assuming.
1: No, no,
0: they're, no. They're not all co- Even before COVID, there were demonstrations on a weekly basis?
1: Yeah, these, this is not just COVID-related. COVID exacerbated it, perhaps. Wow. But, but no, this is really more fundamental. It's against Netanyahu. It's for him to resign, for him to step down, for him to leave. Um, yeah, that, that has been going on. It's, it's much more about that.
0: And the numbers in Israel? What could you tell us about the uh, COVID situation now?
1: Well, I didn't look at the numbers today, but um, they, there are places, uh, many places where it's going down, but I saw that Tel Aviv passed Bnei Brak in a number of cases. Okay. So it's obviously not contained completely, and uh, they pointed a new um, uh, czar to replace Gamzu, and we'll see whether they come up with some new uh, methods, but they, they are slowly opening the schools and opening the businesses, and uh, the general belief is that uh, you know, the economy has suffered greatly from this, Uh, Thank God they can sustain it, at least for now. But we have to think about the long-term implications. People haven't worked and kids not being in school, and so they're trying to to balance it and and work out of of the uh, lockdown slowly. But you see around the world countries are going back under lockdown, France for a month, others. uh, We see it in the Midwest and all over the United States, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 states that are are now in the red um, category. This is a very strange virus. We don't get it yet. And I remember, and I said it on the program back in May, June, that the predictions from security from Assad and others was we're going to have a second wave in September, October, and people should be prepared for it. So don't think this is over and just abide by the regulations, by the recommendations.
0: You know, economically, uh, and who knows, in retrospect, if all this was a mistake, you know, to lock down to the degree that the U.S., Israel, and others have done, then, I mean... We'll be kicking ourselves, but the GDP is up thirty-three percent in this country, which is pretty remarkable, in
1: my opinion. Not that I know much about the it's economy. It's amazing. It's a it's a record-breaking statistic, but it's a return. You know, we're not back to where we were pre-COVID. Right. Uh, it's a return, but it's it, it is a remarkable one, not expected story, certainly not of that magnitude. But the
0: story that I heard from Israel was, um, I mean, again speaking about the economy, is that uh, the oldest falafel stand in Israel located in Tel Aviv, has announced they will not reopen. And that symbolically was an important story to Israelis as 60,000 small businesses in Israel are predicted to not reopen once covid eases up and i i just i, I hope
1: that- yes i saw that and it's a, it's a shocking statistic yeah. when you think of a small country yeah. and, but in this country too look how many big stores store chains the uh, fashion stores others that haven't been open are now either moving looking for bankruptcy production or protection or merging or closing closing many of their stores uh, i know starbucks said that they're coming back faster than anticipated and uh, you know apple uh, and others are reporting income, but they but they, are, they are all impacted even when they are dynamic country companies that didn't have to close down but the they are all impacted cost production goes up you know certainly sustaining workforces outside the office it has a lot of implications
0: um, I don't know if you saw this, but a uh, a Holocaust survivor's grandson pitched in the World Series this week. Yep. His grandmother literally has a number on her left arm. And I don't know if anybody's contacted him yet, but, y- but you know that his story and that of his family could be very effective in Holocaust education in this country. Not that I feel he has to be forced to be recruited, but unbelievable for a kid like this with that lineage. The Wildfoyer family of Poland, that's his maternal family. Um, imagine the effect he could have, uh, you know, if he, if he if he would uh, take on the role of uh, of you know proud Jewish grandson in this way. I just thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, but he's he's not doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't yeah, I, uh, I get deny that. it. He's he's very open and uh, explicit about it. Hundred percent. I can see. Uh,
0: the F thirty five sale to the UAE. Apparently, Israel is not objecting to it, and that's going to go through.
1: Right. And that's why I told you the story about some of the advanced information and other things that Israel's getting. Uh, Israel wants to buy the F-22s. Uh, and there are other things in the works. The delivery is not scheduled to begin until, I think, five years, uh, to 28 was originally, but probably at least five, six years. And, you know, Israel puts its own avionics in it, so it's not that they're getting claims that Israel has. There are still people, including Gantz and others, who have raised questions about it in Israel and saying it's a bad precedent. There Also, Qatar wants to buy the uh, the F-35s, uh, which I hope will not happen. <clears throat> and um, uh, But Israel went along with it. I'm sure that it was discussed during the negotiations in one way or another. Um, and the as they're saying it's important because this way you have a country sitting next to Iran across the water from Iran, with the capabilities to defend itself and to carry out actions against any kind of offensive measures.
0: I got to ask you two more things about the election. Uh, you know, the election is uh, is Tuesday. It's officially election day, as you indicated. In addition to yourself, tens of millions have already voted early. Um, we we see the censorship that's taking place, or the alleged censorship uh, that's taking place. By the social media companies, uh, how they are in control of so much. You and I have discussed a million times over the last many decades. Uh, Jewish community and leadership attitude toward censorship, toward boycotts, toward uh, trying to silence others, and it's a really, really delicate situation. Um, Jews have seen in our history, in the history of the Jewish people, uh, that certain types of governments, it seems. Uh, and and, and, uh, and uh, being in control, you know, under certain types of leaders is very uh, – some are worse than others, let's put it that way. And in an environment like this, reminiscent, frankly, of, you know, old Soviet Union, etc., cetera, uh, where those who are in control – and I'm not talking about the president now. I'm talking about the social media companies – have so much power to be able to silence so many, uh, you know, on a wanton basis. Uh, I mean – I, I would think that I'm, – I'm basically asking if, if we as a Jewish people in this country have a lot to fear and a lot to worry about in that area.
1: It's a very interesting question because their immediate response is to say, well, we want to see them knock off all the Holocaust denial and remove it. And I think that their refusal to do so is unacceptable. But uh, on the other hand, they, they took out a fledgling uh, deception campaign aimed at the United States. Uh, which was in, intended to impact the presidential election and uncovered a campaign against Israel while they were uncovering that. And the small network, they said, <clears throat> uh, uh, came, was based in Iran and focused on U.S. and Israel. This was according to the guy, uh, Gleischer, who's the security head at Facebook, who who spoke about that. And he said that the campaign was dormant since last year, and that often happens is that you have a, a campaign. That time it was against the Eurovision Song Contest that was hosted right. in Israel, right. if you remember. Yeah. And then and, and there's an interesting, they call it perception hacking. That means an attempt to weaponize uncertainty, to to sow distrust and division, and they're trying to undermine it now. There are Russian sources alleging, but certainly Iranian. And I've talked about this many times, that that, that I've gone into the dark web through this incredible technology that they have, and they showed me the the thousands of websites that the Iranians uh, create. So while we want to protect free speech, uh, we, we don't even understand fully the impact of the Internet and how it can be manipulated I know last week they sent out emails to Democratic voters in a lot of the key states and, and purporting to be from the Proud Boys and warned, we will come after you if you don't vote for Trump. And I know that it caused panic in, in some communities, that, that uh, law enforcement, others, and of course we know now what the, what the source of it is. So they monitor it, and it's a careful balance between the two. And you're raising uh, you know, a point that many members of Congress and others— have expressed concern about about whether where do you draw the line on what is acceptable or not? The fact that you know the New York Post is is not allowed to post stuff or others uh, and information then is controlled by you know whoever has the button at Facebook, Twitter, or any of the other companies.
0: And uh, everyone's heading to the polls hopefully Tuesday, as we've described and mentioned a million times already in this conversation. Hopefully, people will. Um, but the anxiety. I don't know if you felt it, frankly, but the anxiety that people have in general about what Tuesday brings, what could happen to this country, what could eventually happen to Israel, what could happen to the enemies of Israel, uh, how they're dealt with, uh, and what could happen to the Jewish people in this country, frankly, and, and, and other, you know, groups that, that uh, other faith-based groups, other minority groups, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All this seems to uh, have created a tremendous amount of anxiety going to the polls on Tuesday. I'm not asking you for a philosophical answer. I'm really just asking you: Is it justified that people feel that way as election day approaches?
1: Okay I think that the, that we're in a period of general uncertainty. It's a complex and very uh, divisive time. It's it, 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 you know we see the riots in Philadelphia, then it spread to Brooklyn. People are are afraid that we're sitting on a time bomb. That the, the the demonstrations were held back because of the elections, and now we could again enter that kind of a period. Um, there are, are uh, the economic dislocation, the social dislocation, adds to that sense of anxiety, the uncertainty about dealing with COVID. But I think people <clears throat> should see that we've gotten through what not eight months, nine months of this. I don't think people at the beginning would have anticipated that, <clears throat> and it's remarkable how much has said how much you know many things are being done to make sure that those who are who are being impacted, you know, have the necessities. But people are concerned about what happens the day after. I am, and I have been advocating this for already for months that we anticipate, regardless of the outcome, either side could be the either way could be. Um, um, you know, could arouse reaction, but most of all, the indecision that could come, and that might be days before we know the outcome. That the that there could be this unrest bubbles up and and, and is manifested in our cities, especially. But we've seen it all over the country. I think that this is uh, something that uh, people should be alert, and it's the reason why they should go out and vote, and you know, vote their conscience. I think that they have to. You know, be be take the necessary steps. Every school, every community, everybody, to uh, to anticipate it. But I want to give one point of good news. If somebody wants to make a quick ten million bucks, very quick, no investment, it's to get information on the Hezbollah financial network. Because the State Department is working, offering up to ten million dollars for information that leads to the disruption of these financial mechanisms of the global terrorist network of, of Hezbollah. So, if anybody has any information out there, you want to partner? We can, you can talk to Nahum and we'll work it out together.
0: Hang on, hang on a second. I'm Googling Hezbollah. <laughs> oh, within minutes, I should have an answer. Hey, hey Siri, hey Siri, what do we know about Hezbollah? And their <laughs> rogue activities,
1: right? Uh, all right, but they listen. know that the U.S. has paid out about 150 million dollars to more than 100 people, which means million and a half dollars average who provided actionable information to help bring terrorists to, to justice or to break up these kind of, um,
0: you that, know. That, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. That's very good, actually. I didn't realize that. But, but I got to share this with you right now. I have to share this with you right now. I just did that Siri joke about Hezbollah, his, his I now have directions to the Hillsboro Library on my phone. <laughs> I mean, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't say it all, I'll tell you. If that doesn't just tell the whole story of this era, right. unbelievable. Malcolm, next week, it might be our highest ratings ever. Everyone's going to want to hear your reaction to the winner of the presidential election.
1: If we know it. If, if we, we have to. Right. But we'll know at least uh, probably where Congress will be. And it's, it's a toss-up nobody knows right now. Ooh, the predictions wish. are that the Senate may flip, you know, back to Republicans and to the Democrats and the uh, – although others say it's too early. It's you know, I don't, not enough information to tell.
0: I don't know if there are other political geeks that would like this activity, but I would love it. And actually, I may do it with you. I'd like to go through all 100 senators post this election and, and literally just make a list of who's been friendly to Israel and who hasn't. And who's been there for our community who hasn't. And and you probably know the majority of them in terms of uh, who has a, a good record or a bad record.
1: I'd like to I know that. many, but you have a lot of people who are untested, new people who yeah, are running this true. time. Well, we'll, designate them, really we'll designate
0: them as new. They haven't well,
1: proven have we'll, themselves. We'll talk yet. about this. This is. So
0: I like it. this idea. The problem is I might be the only one who likes this idea. That's, the, <laughs> that's <laughs> Probably. <the problem. laughs> All right, Malcolm. <laughs> i have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. I would love that. Oh, would I love that? I think I actually sat with Malcolm in uh, in Israel like 20 years ago got into a conversation and sort of did that, like went through every member of the United States Senate and got his opinion about about the way they were um, leading vis-a-vis Israel, etc. Yeah, I may be the only one who wants to do it, but after all, I do have the microphone, so I guess I could, I guess we could implement it if I wanted to, but I'll try to consider everyone else's feelings. If you want to hear a show like that, you can email me and let me know, Nahum at NahumSiegel.com, or you could post it on the app, go to the NSN NahumSiegel Network app for Android and iPhone and post away, as we like to say. Ah, what a world. And hopefully next week we will have an answer regarding the uh, election.